Amen. Appreciate that. Tremendous. Amen. All right, let's take just a minute. Let's look at our prayer sheets, and uh, then we will spend some time around the altar praying tonight before we get into the message. Again, just a quick reminder, we do have men's prayer breakfast this Saturday morning at 9. So men, if you would remember that for a time of food and fellowship. And then we ought to load up and go soul winning after that at 10 o'clock. But tonight, just to continue to pray for me and my family for health and wisdom and power. I'll be flying out tomorrow uh, preaching at a youth conference in South Carolina for Brother Watson. He called me today, said they've got over 200 young people scheduled to be there. Uh, so it's going to be a packed house and I'll be preaching with my brother-in-law, Brother David Young, Friday night and Saturday morning, flying back. So be much in prayer for that youth meeting there in South Carolina. And uh, then uh, I also ask you to please keep Sister Catherine Ayler on your prayer sheet. She's still not 100%. Getting there slowly but surely. But remember her also. Continue praying for my wife. She's doing better. Several people have asked about her, and I appreciate it. She's trying two or three different things, and between the two or three things she's trying... Something's working. She's having some good days. And she's told me today, she said, I'm about 75% compared to where she was a couple months ago. So keep her in your prayer. And then Sister Carrie Grant, remember her. She's out of town for a couple days, but if you would remember her. And Sister Kathy, remember Sister Kathy as well. Still struggling with a lot of different things. And uh, we've talked to her this week. Uh, but just keep her in your prayers. And then Sister Shirley Payne, good to see her here tonight. But remember her with her left eye. And then Sister Rachel, uh, one of our newest members, uh, she's been here for a number of years, but she just joined a few weeks back, but Sister Rachel's recovering from surgery, so let's remember her in our prayers tonight. Our ministry of the week is our summer revival, starts Sunday morning with Brother Russell, Charlie Russell, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and uh, you've already heard him a number of times, and then on Monday through Friday with Brother Mullins, I invite you to please make every effort to be here, be praying for the meeting, and uh, then our missionary of the week is Brother Andrew Brown. And the prayer letters on the back, missionaries of South Korea, very long, newsy prayer letter there. I invite you to take a moment, reach out to them with an the email, let them know that you're praying for them. And our staff member of the week is Brother James Leader. Appreciate Brother Leader. Uh, amen. <laughs> go for a smoke break. Where'd he go? Went over there. Uh, there he's been a blessing. Uh, he doesn't smoke, by the way. He does chew, but he does not smoke. <laughs> no, I appreciate Brother Leader. He's been a blessing since he came on staff. He's just got a phenomenal attitude and a willing heart and has been a tremendous blessing, especially with the young people and with the uh, Every Nation Project. He's done an enormous amount of work vetting and researching all these missionaries. And we're now in currently in 98 countries. Isn't that a blessing? Up from 45 countries just back in March. So we're grateful for the Lord allowing us to be able to expand our missions, and I appreciate Brother Leader and his family. And uh, then I want you also to continue to help me pray for America, pray for our country. I mean, it's just uh, we're in desperate need of God working and moving. And as I said on Sunday, I believe God will do it through the people of God, the church. Uh, that's, how, that's how it's going to happen. It's not going to happen through uh, the Senate or the Congress or the White House. It's going to happen through the church house. Amen. So that means if America's going to have revival, we've got to have revival. It's got to start with us. And so let's pray for our country, pray for our elected leaders and officials and all of our military and our first responders. Remember them and their families. Uh, just, uh, just a complete total change in the climate for our first responders. And uh, it's just so disheartening, demoralizing for many of them. Remember them in prayer. 
And then, as I mentioned, don't forget the new prayer sheets for the month of July. If you would, join us in the altar now as we gather to pray. Those of you that are watching the service online, we invite you to stop what you're doing and pray with us as we join together. We've got some little boxes up here on the steps with cards in them. The white cards are the names of lost people. The blue cards are names of our missionaries. Grab some of those and join in with us. Let's pray for our lost family members to be saved. Ask God to work mightily in the service tonight.
I'll ask Brother Byerly to bring forward the offering plates. We'll take up our offering at this time. And uh, just wanted to commend you for your giving, your faithfulness to the Lord, and looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. Summer can turn into a very, very busy time, but let's remember to keep God first in our finances. God has a way of blessing, and it's always, always in, direct, in a direct coordination to how we bless Him and as we give back to Him through our offering. So we'll take up our offering, we'll sing a congregational as we do that, but let's have a word of prayer for the offering before we do. Our Father, we thank you so very much for your goodness to us, for your blessings upon us. And Lord, I just pray tonight that you would get all the honor and glory from our meeting here tonight. Lord, we turn our hearts and our minds toward this offering. I ask that you'd uh, just bless a special way the, the gift and the giver, and that you'd multiply the effectiveness of everything given tonight. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand, bring your offering if you will, and take your songbooks and sing song number one, uh, 477, The Solid Rock, My Hope is Built on Nothing but Blood and Righteousness. Sing it out on that first. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and standing. Take your Bibles, turn with me please over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number three. We could have looked at a host of verses. We're just going to use this one as a springboard tonight. As we jump back into this message, we started last Wednesday night on the rivals of revival. There are so many things that I believe the devil would like to use to form a roadblock and uh, things that would obstruct God being willing to, uh, being able to speak and work and move in our hearts and in our minds, and I feel like a little bit like John the Baptist trying to prepare the way for the Lord. I feel like God wants to do something amazing in our church Amen. this Sunday and this coming week, and I really feel a very heavy sense of burden and urgency to help try to get our church, as distracted as we might be, try to get us all on the same page and to be prepared and asking God and, 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 and sensitive and asking God to break up that fallow ground so that there's nothing in our life that would rival the revival that God might want to send 
So last week we had, I had five points. We got to the first two. I'll do a quick recap and then we'll jump into the rest of the message tonight. Uh, but for the sake of time, we'll just read one verse out of Revelation 3 as a springboard and then we will try our best to give you the rest of this message tonight. I'm in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 17. Because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That statement where it says that you say I'm increased with goods and have need of nothing. That is a terrible, terrible place to be spiritually. And we definitely don't want to be there when revival time starts on Sunday. So for the sake of time, I'll just read that one verse and then we'll look at these five things tonight. Lord, help us now as we open the scriptures. I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds. Put it all together for us. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that has any of these uh, roadblocks, any of these obstacles in their heart, in their mind, I pray, Lord, tonight that the Holy Spirit would remove that so that you could work mightily in their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. As I said last week, I believe it's imperative that our hearts and our minds be prepared for the upcoming revival. Many times when revival comes, I don't feel like either the pastor's done his job to prepare the people or that the people have done them their job to prepare themselves mentally and the evangelist or the visiting preacher's been in the prayer closet seeking God's face, gets up here, begins to preach, and, and boy, there's a powerful message, and sometimes it's like jumping on a train with it going 60 miles an hour, about jerks your arm off. And what I want to do is I want to be so that when we get here Sunday morning that we're in pace with what God has for us. And I really do believe that for the seed uh, to be able to bring forth a harvest, it needs to fall on good soil. Believe that with all of my heart. Of course, when you go back and you look at Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, that, that seed is, is the heart of the hearer. And I believe it's important that we be good soul, fertile soul, get rid of the stones, get rid of the thorns, and get rid of all the, the, the dry, hard-packed dirt and have some good fertile soil for the seed. Uh, I know God's going to drop some seed in our hearts in the next week. I know that with all my heart. I also know that there are some people here this week and this coming week in meeting, if they don't get a revival, they won't be here six months from now. This will be the last revival they ever go to if they don't get a revival. If God don't do something, and I know that, I feel that, I sense that in my heart, and the messages need to fall on tender, receptive, and hungry hearts. And for God's man to be able to plow and sow the seed, the fields need to be prepared and ready. We need to pull up the stumps and pull out the rocks and the stones so that the man of God, when he gets up here to preach, can preach without anything grieving or cramping or quenching the Holy Spirit. I told Brother Mullins this morning on the phone, I said, Preacher, I said, I've got a bunch of hungry people at my church. I said, I've got some seasoned Christians. I got a bunch of new converts, some newer people. Got a lot to learn. I said, but I can guarantee you one thing. They are ready for whatever God has for us. I said, you preach and you preach whatever God lays on your heart. And now as a pastor, to be able to tell an evangelist that, that's a blessing. It also is putting a big responsibility on us to make sure we don't grieve the Holy Spirit next week when the preacher is here trying to mind the Lord. I've preached places before and it was like plowing on rock. I've preached places before and I felt like I was in a straitjacket. I felt like somebody was choking me and the devil was just fighting me so hard and I don't want to see that this coming week. I want the preacher to have liberty and so for us to do that I really feel like we need to 
search our hearts and make sure that this list of things, I've got five things I want to give you tonight, make sure they're not in our hearts. Make sure that there is not something that would be an obstruction or a hindrance to revival. Last week we looked at number one, the rival of denial, and that is the attitude, I don't need revival. Well, what a terrible state to be in. Say, I don't need revival. Well, everybody in here needs revival. I need revival. My family needs revival. My staff needs revival. I prayed this morning. I said, Lord, start the revival at our church. Start it with the men in this room. We had prayer this morning. We prayed fervently for God to revive us. You say, I don't need revival. That's your first clue. You need a revival if you don't think you need one. I don't have time to repeat that whole point last, uh, uh, last uh, week, but we talked about Judges 16, 20, where Samson the Bible says he laid down in Delilah's lap and the Bible says she cut off her hair and he said he woke up and he says he wished not that the Lord had departed from him. He just assumed that what he'd always taken for granted would be there, uh, but it wasn't. And uh, he did not know that the power had departed. He did not know that he was in desperate need of God at that time. And it's easy as a Christian to get to the place to where you just assume that everything's okay and you have this attitude, I'm fine. I don't need anything as we read in our text this morning in the church at Laodicea. They said we're in need of nothing. But the Bible says they wish not that they, were, uh, that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They were in terrible, terrible state and didn't even know it. So one of the biggest rivals of revival is that of denial. I don't need revival. I'm fine. I don't need it. And I mentioned last week some people are in worse shape than others. Some people, they need smelling salts. Just wave them under their nose and they'll come too. Some people need defibrillators. We've got to say it right up the hallway on the right. If you, get it, if you need it, well, just let us know. We've got some people in the church that know how to use it. Amen. We'll wake you up. But we're wanting God to do something. And everybody needs a revival to some extent. That's just a closer walk, a more fervent prayer life, a cleaner mind, a cleaner heart, a more receptive, sensitive spirit. There's so many aspects of it. The truth of the matter is you may not know what you need, but God does. I think we should all start with first base tonight. We need revival. All of us need it. Don't have a rival of that denial in your heart. Secondly, last week we looked at the second revival, the, the rival of doubt, and that is simply saying I can't have revival. There's some people that have just given up on ever having a closer walk with God than they have right now. There's people that had a closer walk, got cold, got indifferent, they lost their edge, I mean, whatever term you want to use, they got to the place to where they're, they're not 100%, but they've kind of made their mind up, this is how it's always going to be. And that is a rival to revival going into the meeting saying that, that God can't help me, God can't work in my life, God can't blow on the embers and revive the, the, the fire, God can't do it, yes he can. We gave a host of verses last week, Ezekiel 37, where the valley of dry bones, God spoke to a valley of dry, dusty bones, and they shook, and they came to, and they rose up and became an army. Of course, that's just a, a, a story that he gave in uh, Ezekiel 37, point being God can do whatever he wants to do. Job 14 talks about though, the, though the, the root be waxed old in the earth and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. It don't matter how dead and dry you are spiritually, God can and wants to send you a revival. He wants to. We talked about the dead son in 1 Kings 17. 
We talked about uh, the, the bones of Elisha in 2 Kings 13. And there's so many other places we could look at. Jairus' daughter. Uh, there, there's the, the widow of Nain's son. There's the stories in the Bible where people that were dead. Lazarus was dead four days and God brought him back. I'm telling you, God has the power to revive. Don't rule out the possibility of God doing something amazing in your life. But tonight I want to get into these other three that we didn't get to last week. Number three, we see the rival of deflection. Deflection, and that is, I don't need revival as bad as everybody else does. Well, that's a terrible trap to fall in. You come to the revival and you say, well, you know, I'm sure I could probably tighten up in a few areas. I'm sure God could do a few things, but comparatively speaking, I'm doing pretty good. I certainly hope brother so-and-so's here this week. I hope sister so-and-so gets off of work. I sure hope this family don't take vacation. I hope they're here. I hope brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so really pay attention. Boy, I really like to see God do work in their heart. That's a terrible, terrible attitude to bring into the revival meeting is that I don't need revival as bad as somebody else. You're not responsible for everybody else. And I'll be honest with you, years ago, I started entering into every time we had a revival, making me and my spiritual needs the priority in my prayer life. I do pray for you. I pray for the church. I have been. I will. But I'm telling you right now, my attitude, I always have the attitude that the revival that we have in this church is hinging on me having revival. That's where I start. I need it. You say, oh, there's probably people in the church that need it worse than you. Maybe, but that's not how I think. Because what happens is when the preacher's preaching, you're sitting there deflecting. You're sitting there bouncing it off. I mean, he drops it right in your lap and you take a pitchfork and feed it to the people behind you. God wants you to take that truth. God wants to do something in your life with that. It's a terrible, terrible mistake uh, comparing your spirituality with other people during a season of revival. God can show up and move and do great things, but if you're worried about other people, you're going to miss it. Revival is a church-wide possibility, but only after it is a personal reality. Can I say that again? Revival is a church-wide possibility, but only after it is a personal reality. The church will not have revival until you have revival, because you are the church. If each person will focus on their own spiritual walk with God, revival will happen. Absolutely guaranteed. But if you sit through the service thinking others need it worse than you do, you, my friend, need revival. You're like the Pharisee in Luke chapter number 18. There was a Pharisee in Luke 18. The Bible says two men, verse 10, went up to the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee, the other a Republican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are extortioners and unjust adulterers, and even as this publican, I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And if you think that you don't need revival, but everybody else needs it more than you, that is Phariseeism and it is pride. And I promise you, God will not revive you. Guarantee you'll not have revival if you think that you're in better shape than somebody else. That attitude. You should come into the revival acting as if God sent those two men of God up here just to preach just to you. 
and hang on every word. I'm telling you right now, if we'll do, if this church will do what I'm preaching right now, revival will break out at Calvary Baptist Church. I've gone to churches and preached revivals before and I felt like I wasted my time. And I've gone to churches and preached revival before and revival broke out. But I didn't take it with me in my suitcase. I didn't bring it up there in a box and open it up and, and hand it to everybody. It was a preparing and a receptiveness in each individual heart and mind to the words and the truth of God. It was God working in their hearts. Those preachers are just preachers. They're good men. They're God's men. But it's going to be God working and the Holy Spirit working and you and I having the humility to recognize we need to be closer to God than we are right now. Number four, write this down, the rival of delay. That is saying, I don't want revival right now. Procrastination is a serious problem. People know they need revival, but they also know that it will drastically alter their lifestyle. For some people, revival is seen as something that will cramp their Lifestyle. They do not want revival right now. They've still got some wild oats they want to sow. They've got some things they want to do. And they know if God sends revival into their life this week, all their plans are going up in smoke. You said you ever believe that's possible? I know it's possible. I know it's true. No question in my mind. In James chapter number four, I refer to this verse often when I preach in funerals, but I think it's applicable here. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. You're assuming that you're going to have time later. You're basically saying, I've got time later. I'll do it later. I'll have revival later. You're assuming a lot. And the Bible says that all such boasting is evil. Then he goes on to verse number 17. Therefore to him that knoweth do good and doeth it not, to him it's a sin. If you know you need revival this week, but you don't want revival this week, that's a sin. It's a sin. Basically what you do is harden your heart and say, I don't want God to work in my life right now. One of the biggest challenges that we have with young people is getting them to sell out to God now while they're young. Many of them want to go sow their wild oats and do all their crazy stuff and then when they get the, scratch that itch and they've gone and they've, they've, they've done their, their crazy stuff, then they're okay, now that I've experienced all this, I'll settle down, you know, and I'll ask God to give me a good, good wife, good godly husband. That's not how it works. Very rarely do I ever see people's plans come together like that. There's a serious lack of urgency when it comes to some people's spiritual walk with God. They, live, they act like they're going to be able to live forever. You don't know how much longer you have. You have no idea that this revival, this coming revival, and what God wants to do in your heart could change your, not eternal destiny, as much as your path and trajectory on this earth. Some of you young people, listen to me very carefully. You having a revival this week could affect who you marry. Absolutely, which will affect everything else, your kids, where you live, where you work, and all that. It's that important. It's that important. I can't stress the urgency 
of revival right now, this hour. They're not concerned about the time spent walking in the flesh. They're not counting the days, recognizing that the crop that will come up from sowing to the flesh. Well, I just want to, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yes, you do. You know it's a big deal. You're lying to yourself and you're trying to sell everybody else on it. But I'm not listening and God's not listening. You know it's wrong, and every day that you walk in the flesh, carnal, sowing seeds to the flesh, is another day's worth of crops that's going to come up one day. And you can sow more seed in one day than you'll be able to harvest in a lifetime. Listen to me now. You'll make decisions in one 24-hour period that will alter the rest of your life. Revival is urgent. You cannot fall into that trap of saying, I know I need to get right with God, but I just don't want to get with God, right with God right now. You need to get right with God yesterday. Amen. The days that you live without sweet communion with God will take its toll on you. See, you've gotten used to it. You've gotten used to not having a sweet prayer life. You've gotten used to not getting anything out of your Bible reading. You got used to coming to church and having the walls up and it'd be like water off a duck's back. But every single service that that happens, you're just that close, that much closer to getting completely out of church, out of the will of God, cold and indifferent to the point to where it's going to take a miracle to get you right. I'm, I'm telling you this, this evening, there's people sitting in this service right now. You know you're not right with God, but you like where you are right now because you're moving toward some long-term goals. You're moving toward being able to make some decisions that you've thought about for years, and you're so close to it, you can taste it. You're just like that prodigal son I preached about two weeks ago. You're packing your suitcase. You're packing your suitcase. I've got my life. I've got my plan. Get out of my way. Give me what's mine, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And there's a hog pen somewhere with your name on it. You'll crawl over whoever you've got to crawl over to get to that hog pen. But I'm telling you, you could have revival this week and never leave the house. Never leave. I'll never forget down there at Brother Andy Wells just two weeks ago, teen camp. I was fixing to preach that message that I preached here. I was getting ready to preach it. These men were sitting there. I didn't think I was going to get to preach. People started testifying and God was beginning to work and I thought I'm not even going to get to preach. And I'm sitting here looking at my message about the prodigal son. And Brother Andy Wells looked at Brother David Young. He had drove three hours. with Him and his young people drove three hours to come to that service. He didn't know I was preaching. I'm not saying he wouldn't have come anyway, but he didn't know I was preaching, but they drove. And Brother Andy looked at Brother David and said, won't you stand up right there and just say something? And David Young jumped up and he said, people's always preaching about that prodigal son. He said, but why don't anybody ever preach about the fact that you don't have to leave the house? You can stay at the house. You can stay at the house. You can stay at the house. And I'm looking at my notes and that's what I'm about to preach on. You don't have to go and get out of the will of God. You don't have to get backslid. You don't have to fall out of God's will. You can have revival and let it go to another level. But if you've got that mindset, I just want to go sow my wild oats, you're basically saying, not now, Lord. I'll, I'll get back to you later, and we'll talk about revival, but not right now. And the possibility that this may be your last opportunity. It breaks my heart. Whenever I go down to the rescue mission, our church is very involved in rescue mission. Brother Bittner's here and his wife. 
We've got ladies here tonight from Karis House, and we drive them, bring them in from the rescue mission on Sundays. But, I mean, there's a there's hundred or more down there on, every night, and every time I go preach, somebody will come up to me and say, I grew up in church. I grew up going to Sunday school. My mama prayed for me. My daddy, my daddy was a pastor. And they're living on the streets. What happened? God came, knocked on their door. They said, not right now. Not right now. Number five, let me give you this last one. These are rivals of revival. These are things that will keep God from giving you a revival. Number five, the, the rival of defiance. That is simply saying, I don't want revival. Not now, not now, not ever. I don't want one. I don't want to be close to God. I don't care nothing about being around God. I don't care nothing about experiencing God's blessings. I don't care anything about sitting in church and listening when the preacher's preaching. I'm not, I'm, 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 my body's here, but I don't want to be here. And the preacher's preaching can see that. You might as well bring a poster board in, hold a big, hold a big sign that says, I don't want to be here. I'm only here because my daddy made me come. I'm only here because my mom made me come. I'm only here because my wife wouldn't leave me alone. I'm only here because I have to be here. I don't want to be here. You might as well hold up a sign because you can see it all over their face. That's the rival of defiance. Jeremiah chapter number 8, verse number 5. Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to see, they refuse to return. What a statement. Perpetual backsliding. We're not talking about somebody that just took one step backwards. We're talking about somebody sliding backwards downhill and gaining speed and everybody trying to stop it, everybody trying to help them, and God's trying to intervene, and they like it. I hearkened and heard. I've been Jeremiah 8, 5 and 6. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as the horse rushed into the battle. Just hell-bent. I don't want revival. My, 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 my goal is to get as far away from God and the things of God and the people of God as I can get. The further I can get from this place, the better life will be. That's defiance, rebellion, stubborn, hard-hearted. Hosea chapter number 11, verse 7, and my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they call them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. Bent to backsliding. In one passage, he talked about a backsliding heifer. That's when you're trying to pull that cow and it's just it's, it's pulling you backwards. It's frustrating for a child of God to be compared to a backsliding heifer. They're supposed to be sheep following the shepherd. You're not supposed to drive sheep. You're not supposed to have to whip sheep. You're not supposed to have to take a stun gun and tie a rope around their neck and drag them back into the fold. They're supposed to follow the shepherd. Something's bad wrong when you don't want God to get closer and you don't want God to be more intimate and more real. Something's wrong when you want to be as far away from God and what God's doing as you can be. Something's wrong. The devil will make you think it's everybody's wrong but you person that don't want revival is worse off than anybody else in these other four categories. That means they know they need revival, but they don't want it. They've grown comfortable being backslid, being cold, being carnal. It's a terrible, 
terrible place to be. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 14? The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. It's not going to end well for somebody that is that resistant to revival. There's always somebody resistant to what God's wanting to do. Always. There's not a service goes by that I don't preach here at Calvary Baptist Church. Somebody's sitting in the pews fighting me, fighting God. I just ignore them most of the time. But the night I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to you. God loves you enough to throw you a, a life preserver, save you from drowning, save you from a life of scars and sin. And you think your parents are crazy, you think your preacher's crazy. You think the Bible's out of date. You think the whole church has lost their mind. That's how the devil works. He's a liar and a deceiver and make you think you're right in your own sin. You got a chance to get right with God. If you're really honest, if you're really honest, you'll get up in this altar tonight and say, Lord, I need revival. Please give me a revival. Remove all these obstacles. Remove all these these things in my life that would keep you from being able to do whatever it is you want to do in my life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the altar's open, pianist is coming, playing a verse or two of a song. Would you tonight join us in the altar? You say, I, I prayed last week. I know. Let's pray again. Lord, I need revival. I know I do. God knows you do. You know you do. Why don't you and God get on the same page about revival? There may be someone here tonight say, Pastor Shifflett, I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I hope I'd go to heaven. I think I would, but I can't say for sure that I know I would go to heaven if I died. And I would appreciate it if you would remember me in prayer. Would you be honest enough with God this evening to just quietly raise your hand, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Anybody anywhere? Preacher, pray for me. Anybody? God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you so much for being honest. Anyone else? It would be our greatest honor tonight to take a Bible and help you with that. We wouldn't embarrass you for nothing in this world, but we would love, love tonight to help you. You can put your hand down. Thank you so much. We would love to take a Bible and help you tonight. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If you're not ready to talk about it, we won't talk about it. I'm going to pray for you. But tonight would be a good night for you to get that settled if God is speaking to your heart. If you're here tonight, you say, Preacher, I know I'm not where I need to be, but I've got so many things in my life right now, I just can't get it figured out. Why don't you get in the altar tonight and ask God to help you get it figured out this week? You say, I don't know what I need. I don't know what I need. Pastor Shifflett does not know what he needs spiritually, but I know one thing, I need something. I need something. And I'm a candidate for whatever God wants to do in my life. Whatever changes he wants to make in me, I'm, I'm open to that. 